This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sarah Ferguson is the Duchess of York. She, in addition to that, is a best-selling author, a children's book author. She's a film producer. Do you remember when Sarah was the spokeswoman for Weight Watchers and Wedgwood China? She works for children's causes all over the world. She is, well, you can call her a historian. It's one of her passions, and she's very interested in Victorian history. Her two daughters do her proud. She is now a grandmother of two children, and she lives in Windsor, and she's got a house full of dogs, including the Queen's Gorgies. Come join me and enjoy the story of Sarah Ferguson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And in a couple of days, actually next Friday, correct me if I'm wrong, it's St. Patrick's Day, and everyone likes to go to the pubs when they come to New York. Let me give you a couple of our favorites. Did you ever go to Dorian's on 2nd Avenue at the corner of 84th Street? They're hosting St. Patrick's Day, and you know what they do? They start in the morning, 10 a.m. on March 17th, and they have an all-day menu, traditional Irish breakfast, $19, two fried eggs, beans, Irish bangers, black and white pudding, sliced tomato, toast, or traditional Irish beef stew. I love that. Many of the marchers end up at this place, and the special menu runs all weekend long. A place I have been going to for years. Any of you who come in and out of Penn Station, Tirnanag, do you know that one? 254 West 31st Street. They open at 11 in the morning on St. Patrick's Day. Specials, music, really yummy corned beef and cabbage for $22. Irish bangers and mash made with Guinness gravy and Irish butter for $20, and they have another restaurant called the Joyce Public House at 315 West 39th Street, opening at 11. Great food, great music. Rosie O'Grady's, a landmark here practically, at the corner of 52nd and 7th. They've been here for over 40 years. 
They're doing special drinks all through March, like Irish Mule, frothy Irish coffee made with homemade whipped cream. And on St. Patrick's Day, they open at 1030 with special music and menu. And you can go to Pete McManus Cafe at 152 7th Avenue. They're actually beating the crowd. They're opening at 8 a.m. And around 4, they usually have a group of bagpipers stop by and play. Do you know that this bar, cafe, is the oldest family-run bar in New York City? It opened in 1936, and it's a real Irish pub. Lots of partying on St. Patrick's Day. And, boy, I used to go all the time when they started allowing women. McSorley's at 15 7th Street. Do you know they no longer have a phone? So I couldn't verify it. But before COVID, they opened at 8 a.m. on St. Patrick's Day. And there was always a line starting at 6 in the morning. And Neary's, another one, part of New York, 358 East 57th Street, is opening at 11 a.m. They opened their doors in 1967 for St. Patrick's Day. And this is considered one of the best Irish pubs in the city. So enjoy it. Enjoy your stew, your corned beef, the camaraderie of everyone who's celebrating and happy. And every minute of St. Patrick's Day is your opportunity to party. I'm Joan Hamburg. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I can't wait to introduce you, although you certainly know her, to the one and only Joy Behar, who is a mainstay on television's most popular daytime show, The View. And imagine, Joy has been doing this show for years and years. I still remember when Barbara Walters was looking for this idea that she had developed, and suddenly the view was born. And how many years is it, Joy? Um, um, twenty-six. And you've been twenty-six on- years. We started. We started in nineteen ninety-seven, mm. and I, if, I, if my math is correct, I think it's twenty-six years. I was off the show for two years and then came back. And did you miss it when you were off? There's a lot of strain to doing a daytime show every day. Yeah, it was actually a relief for me because I didn't really like where the show was at at that moment. And so I was happy to lead. And then it it, it opened up, um, you know, more things for me. I I wrote a one-person show. It was called Me, My Mouth, and I, where I talked about my life. And I did other stuff, too. So it actually was a... Two years of creativity, and then they came back and said, "Would you come back?" And, and did, first, I said, "Well," they said, "You just have to uh, come back on day. You can moderate on Friday. We'll take that day off." So I said, "Okay, I'll do that." And then the next thing you know, I'm on there five days a week again. You know, right. it's like it's like uh, it's like Al Pacino in that movie. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Right, it's, it's like, like the man who came to dinner. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and he slips again and comes right back. Yeah, yeah, and, right and then he's there. But it it uh-huh. really is. It's an interesting journey, and everyone. I think I always feel like everyone knows the story, but 
when you were coming of age, you were doing some stand-up later, but you, I don't think, envisioned yourself as the queen of daytime television. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'm the queen, but, uh, you know, I, I, I envisioned that I would be on television for this, this number of years. I mean, it's been a, it's a long haul, but I do, I do believe in longevity in the, in the business, you know, because that seems to be the key to the whole st- uh, story is to like you, you've been on what since the Punic Wars zone, how many yeah. years now? Oh my gosh. I, it's forever. <laughs> it's over 40 some odd years. Right? Yeah. And I it's was a lot of years. Right. Just doing it. Like I, you know, when they said, Oh, you've got to do radio. I said, I'm not doing radio. You know, what's <laughs> the big deal. And uh-huh. I did it on a Sunday. The, a trial yeah. show, but not for what? We had no idea. And then, you know, I have this huge family, and they all wrote in. It was the best radio they ever heard. I didn't mention it was Cousin Gladys and Seal, the whole crew. And the yeah, program director said, oh, we never got a response like that to Sunday show. I was going to say, you should have my family. You'd get a response. So, oh, my God. It's like, it's like the people who have a book ad and just go send everybody out to buy the books at Barnes and Noble and other places. And then they have a, they're on the bestseller list. Right. That's the old <laughs> trick, you know, and, but they know what Barnes and Nobles to go to because not every one of them are in the count. So, oh, I didn't know that. So they Boy, go to the really right ones and uh-huh. they get their books, but you've written a lot of books on your journey too. Yes, I have. And you're, you're still writing. Yeah. So when you were g- growing up, what, did you want to be a writer? What what was your fantasy? Well, I always, no, I wanted to make people laugh my whole childhood. I was in the business of making my family laugh. I had a built-in audience in the tenements I lived in because my uncles and aunts who were all single for a long time were downstairs, and I would just go there and make them laugh, you know, and try to make my mother laugh. And, you know, I, I just was doing that all the time. I would get in trouble too. I just, you know, I, 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 a lot of times I was too talkative in school, you know, and trying to be funny. And then I would never be, I'd be, they'd tell me I couldn't be on the honor roll. I couldn't be on the arista because I talked too much, which, which I resent to this day. <laughs> this day I resent it. <laughs> no, but you had once said that in your neighborhood, which was, you know, a, a good neighborhood, but a little rough and tough, especially with the kids. Yeah. Uh And that you were regarded not always in a positive way as a princess. And you, was it because your mother gave you such gorgeous clothes or was it an attitude? Well, when I was, I, I, girls from other neighborhoods would come around and pick fights with me. And I never could understand why they did that because I didn't even know these girls. They seemed to have heard of me somehow. It was an amazing thing. I mean, I was just living my life, being whoever I was, and these girls would come and start fights with me, and um, and it was always like an enigma. It was like a what's the word I'm looking for? Just odd that that they would pick on me. Right, out of all the so, kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, right. My girlfriends were not picked on, just me, and mm. I did not get it. So years later, a therapist said to me, "Well, I guess they could smell the princess in you." Isn't that? And I thought, what are they talking about? You know, I live in a tenement. I don't live in a castle. You know, I I don't have uh, coming out parties like they do in in some 
places. Right. Um, you know, my father was a you know, gambler, and, you know, we never had money. We didn't even have a car. He was a truck driver. My mother was a sewing machine operator. That, that's, that was my background. How could you call me a princess? But then as I delved into it a little bit deeper, I realized what they were smelling. They were smelling a girl who was, uh, even though we didn't have any money, I was treated like a princess. I had mm-hmm. the best clothes. I was taken to the theater. I was taking lessons, ballet lessons at Carnegie Hall with, a, with Mr. Shimoto, a Japanese wow. um, ballet dancer. I went to the Junior Dramatic Workshop and studied acting where Mar- Marlon Brando had been. And, and I was treated like a princess as if we had money. So I, I didn't get it. But other people, I guess, picked it up. They didn't like the way I dressed. I would wear Bermuda shorts in the neighborhood. You don't wear Bermuda shorts in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, back in the day. Now, Williamsburg, Brooklyn is very, very trendy. It's a whole other world there. But when I was growing up there, it was not like that. So I had a hard time as a kid because of that. But it all came clear in my therapist's office many years later. (laughs) Right, and you survived it. And I think part of the secret is when you have tough beginnings is a mother. And you had a mother who, no matter what you did, you were perfect. Well, my mother, my mother was the queen of unconditional, of unconditional love. She found nothing wrong with me. If I played hooky from school and I'd be in my room with my girlfriends and we, we just would not go to school, she would come in with cookies and say, oh, have some cookies. I mean, she, just, <laughs> she, she never blamed me for anything that I did. So, you know, what can I tell you? When you have a mother like that, you just are a princess, I guess. You know what they say, Joan? I'm listening. Uh, if you have a good mother, you've won the lottery. Yeah, well, you know, you and I believe that. We both came from I mothers. Do who, you're right, who said you can do no wrong, you know? Yeah. And by the way, yeah. uh, Sarah Ferguson, I'm in my studio, just walked into my studio, heard your dulcet oh. tones. And crushed and crushed <laughs> the radio show, saying, She's my friend. I love her. But I know you're Joan's best friend. But. We- I just adore you, Joy, and thank you for yesterday. And also love the fact that you mentioned queen and princesses, and you've got an old duchess here. That's right. I know. Uh, Well, you're perfect for this conversation, um, Sarah, because you I don't know what your background was before you became a royal. Were were you a a pretty girl or not? No, no. with, 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 With a bath out of red curls, you were almost thrown out of school all the time and always forgot the wrong jersey on the day of the school photograph, you know, all that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I loved your mother bringing cookies to you when you were <laughs> yeah, when you were ill. It's true. Yeah, I always... Well, was... listen, this is, this is how spoiled I was. You know, I said before that there were aunts and uncles who lived on the third floor and we lived on the fifth floor. So <laughs> I was so spoiled that they had, my aunts and uncles had a party for my Lana Turner doll. Okay. Now that is spoiled. Joy, tell Sarah (laughs) that you in you. Of course, you never went to things like camp or anything. The closest. No, they didn't believe in camp. But explain where your parents would take you, like a vacation, or we're going here. It's better. The other kids don't have this when they would take you to the local cemetery. 
Oh, I used to go to the cemetery. Oh, Sarah, you'll love this. They used to take me to the cemetery to visit my grandparents. <laughs> and they would, pass it, they would pass it off as a vacation. It's like, okay, let's go visit grandma and grandpa. I say, listen, they're dead. I know they're dead. I went to the wake. And they said, oh, be quiet and let's go. And, and we go to the cemetery. My aunts would bring veal and pepper sandwiches. We'd sit in the cemetery and have a picnic. It was bizarre. I have photographs to prove what I'm saying. <laughs> but have you, have you always been as funny and quick as, as you are? You're very funny. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. You know I, She's funny. When, when you're the... allowed to, you know what, uh, Sarah, when you're allowed to say anything you want, no one tells you to shut up, you, you get kind of be, to be like me. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm getting into trouble on my show almost every day now. Every day it says we're working at a minefield over here. You know, it just gets into trouble because of my mouth. <laughs> and I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. The others, too. But you can control your mouth, which is good. I can, though. I, I can control it. You know, but Sarah, it was so delightful to have you here. You're such a great guest. And, you know, she's a great girl, Sarah. We're fun and funny. And I meant to get your your cell phone number because we might be able to get together sometime. You're that kind of person. I want to hang out with you. Yeah, well, it, as soon as I left, I was going to run back, but I saw you putting your slippers on and thought, no, better not. But I wanted to run back and say, why don't we just go out and have a drink and have lunch or have fun? I'd love that. I know. Well, we should have yesterday, but you ran out. You'll do it next I, time. I, I, could, I had a, Yeah, next time we'll do that for sure. I'll track you down, Joe. Yes, Joe. Joan, we'll take we'll take Sarah to one of our haunts in New okay. York. Okay, we'll do that. We'll show her a different New York. Have you two known each other for years? Uh, I really don't um, even. About, what? Well, tell them. Tell her what happened. How you knew about me, John? Well, Joy was <laughs> a host on another radio show, opposite mine. And I used to drive up to Providence, Long, Rhode Island, because my kids were at a school called Brown University. And I would get in the car, and all the way up, I'd hear this annoying woman. <laughs> and it made me so mad. I was, oh, wait, was I really annoying, or were you annoyed by me because I was your competition? I was annoyed exactly. by you because you were my competition. And you right, did you seem... Go sensitive to the fact that you were my competition. <laughs> it was very irritating. And she would be this voice all the way up to Rhode Island. And then ironically, I forget, we were doing some TV show and we sort of bumped into each other. And I don't know what happened. We had similar dispositions. And well, Joan and I were fast friends as soon as we realized that we were not competitive with each other because I got fired from the radio show. And so that's another story. But <laughs> but I know, and I, I really didn't want to feel happy because I liked her by now. Yeah. <laughs> but you were but Joan, Joan is a very generous person, and when I go out to the Hamptons, she introduced me to people like E.L. Doctorow, you know, the great writer, and other people like that. And that's how I started to make friends in the Hamptons. It's because of Joan. So oh, that's very come kind. out to the Hamptons, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> She's got her own Hamptons in London. <laughs> I know that's true. But, no, but, but I want to call. I want to see you when I come to London. I'm going to call you. Leave your phone number with Joan. I will. I'll okay, leave it with we'll Joan. We'll do it. But All right, Joycey. We're Coron going to let you go. Coronation chicken sandwiches. I'll have them ready. Oh, we mm. love that. Okay. okay, we'll go to the cemetery in London. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, bye-bye. All right, take care, Joy. Bye-bye. That was Joy Behar of The View, and that's Sarah Ferguson, who is a fascinating woman. I've always been interested in Sarah. She is brave. She's funny. She's a chance taker, and she's the ultimate survivor, and that's a gift. And she has wonderful kids and is loyal to those who surround her no matter what. So you're going to hear much more about her after this. I'm Joan Hamburg. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I'm really happy to see the Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson, who is one of the most interesting women that you have ever met. Not only is she interesting and and charitable and does more than you can imagine, she's a very successful writer. Her second novel, A Most Intriguing Lady, has just come out. And Sarah also is so involved in the world and in kids. And I love seeing you. Very glamorous in a blue velvet jacket. Well, Joan, thank you so much. Are you Joni or Joan? Joan, but they call me whatever. Okay. Joni, Joan. Okay, well, I'm Sarah and you're Joni. Right. And some children call me Dutchy Doodles. <laughs> Dutchy Doodles, I love that. But you're very kind to say about my blue jacket because your glasses would go very well with it when your Joan, Joni has lovely same coloured Blue glasses, blue spectacles. Yeah, but we love blue. It and makes we love us blue. feel good and yes. happy and yeah. right. So when you were here uh, a couple of years ago, you had been through a lot of rough times. I mean, people would say not so rough, rough. You know, when people go after other people, it's rough if you're the recipient of that. But you have a kind of inner strength that got you through, and look at all you've accomplished in that time. Thank you. Well, it's very kind of you to give me the platform, and thank you for that. I I found uh, my first novel was written during the pandemic because I was able to escape into Lady Margaret. And um, I was a bit timid and lacking a bit of confidence because, you know, sometimes when you do go through so much, you you have a lot of self-doubt. Right, and you're afraid people will criticise you and... Everything. I've noticed, Joni, uh, when um, I get to overtired and um, someone says something mean or unkind, which they, they do a lot, um, it makes me cry and it makes me, sends me into fear that I'm going to go back to the days of the, of the, of the bad time. And it's interesting because my children both know, Mum, Mum, what's the fear? Address it. What's the fear? And as soon as you put your finger on it and label it, uh, you you feel a better. You, it doesn't rob you of the day. Did you have a strong childhood? Was the family good to you? Uh, we had the most idyllic childhood where we played with Cindy and Paul in those days. Or yeah, Cindy and Paul. Then it moved on to Ken and Barbie. But we had Cindy and Paul because yeah. I was born in 1959, and then from there we had the best time. And of course. Dad played polo f- with the Duke of Edinburgh and with Prince of Wales. So the, that wonderful mother-in-law of mine has been with me since I was born. You know, she's always been, well, and for the nation and for the world, 
she's always had that sort of hand of support behind your back where you don't really, you know it's there, but you can't feel it. But right. you know it's there. But she was there for you. Yeah, always. And you loved her. Always. When I got divorced, uh, the lawyers, who were really stonky lawyers, uh, they said, oh, um, you know, uh, well, you've you got to divorce the Queen. You can't divorce, divorce your husband. And and so how much do you need? And I said, I don't need anything. I need your friendship. And that's what I had till the end. And it was the American people journey that gave me my life. Because I came here in 1995, divorced, and they gave me a job in Weight Watchers. And I am a closet American because I'm so grateful. And was Weight Watchers fun for you? By the way, you're very thin. <laughs> you're looking good, Sarah. <laughs> but Joni, the Weight Watchers was fantastic because what I, what I, what they didn't realize was I had a weight issue. So every time I went up on stage, I could relate to everyone's coming up saying. So I'd ask them, "So how do you manage your food? And how do you manage your day?" And I was cared because I cared because I then went home and did exactly what they were telling me to do. It's fantastic. It, it, Twelve years I was with them, and I will, I'm very loyal to the m Middle America, to my people um, in America, to Who Laurie's. embraced you. Yes, and I, I thank them. I couldn't think how to thank the American people, so um, when the Oklahoma City bombing happened, I went to Oklahoma, and I went up, and I said to Dolores, my friend, I said, Dolores, how can I help? She said, save my grandson. So I went down to lunch, and I drew a doll, a little red, she's called, on a napkin. And I took the napkin to F.A. Schwartz. Uh, Anne Keating, my friend, introduced me to F.A. Schwartz. And we made a doll which stands at about 15 inches. Isn't and that great? It's amazing. And if you go, and she she has a cowboy hat on and Oklahoma pyjamas because she's born there. And she, if you go to, to Oklahoma City, she's in the museum there as a sign of hope for children. And then I started Chances for Children and came to New York. And Howard Lutnick and Alison Lutnick gave me an office on the 101st floor mm. of the North Tower. And do you know, Jenny, and I, I can show you all the pictures, Little Red, my 15-inch doll, came down from 101 floors. Mm. CNN filmed it and said, look, a child's doll. And Larry King and said... And that was yours. And she said... Uh, and, they, and CNN said, no, it's Fergie's Little Red that stands for children's rights all over the world. And she was... She's now in Grand Zero Museum. You can go and see her there. It, that's amazing. Amazing. Do you feel, like, really proud of yourself now? I hope you've learned to appreciate who you really are and love yourself. Uh, there are good It's days. asking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I think that my grandmother always taught me that if you feel bad about yourself, give to others. And she was a great lady, um, Irish, and... Um, and so when I was, whenever I feel bad about myself, I go and help others. And the minute you do, the minute you say, get out of your own way, you silly old goose, because you're so lucky. I, Joni, am the luckiest girl on this planet, really. I've, I've mother-in-law the queen, Diana was my best friend. I've lived every girl's dream. And with it, there's some, been some obstacles, but I'm here today. You got over them. Yeah. And that's the secret. Yeah. You know, don't let them hold you in a bad embrace. And you did that. You got through all that stuff. Thank you. And look at your girls. <gasps> My I gosh. Mean, and you're a grandmother. I'm a, I'm a grandmother of August, who's two, 
a sienna who's little Barbie. She's right. dressed in Barbie dolls. And uh, and then another one on the way, Joni. Oh, that's great. It's great. That's great. So life has come around and good. It's come around and good. And they call me Gigi after the film. Do you remember the of film? Of course. <laughs> I love that <laughs> We film. love that. And so I'm cool. I, I wanted to be very elegant, so I love Gigi, you know. And um, so Gigi, I am Gigi. But because I've written so many children's books and Little Red, I... I actually love that world of of Fergie and friends and and Gigi and August and Sienna. So we're very happy. Oh, and my girls, I call them the tripod, the three of us, because when everyone says, "Is it great to be a, gra- a grandmother?" I say, well, "I'm actually really proud of my girls. I love seeing them as mothers." It's fantastic. Yeah. And both of them married, right? To oh my heavens! Incredible. Oh, oh, Joni. No, 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 no. no. Jack is my my best friend. Jack is married to Eugenie, and he right. was my best friend, mm. and he is my best friend. So whenever Eugenie's, um, whether she's good or not, it doesn't matter. I say, just love your husband. Jack's perfect. Jack's everything. <laughs> and Jack's great. And then Edo, the, Beatrice is married to Edo. You wouldn't believe it, but his brother is my godson. No. So I've yeah. known him all my life. So did you introduce them? Well, well, they I, knew each other from childhood. Well, well the, from the age of about 13, Beatrice mm. had a crush on him. He's older, so he was 16 or something. And But the real thing was that Beatrice didn't really know him. Anyway, at Eugenie's wedding, this is really good, we had a tea room. I made a tea room. Of course you have a tea room. Why wouldn't you have a tea room? And uh, Palace said I couldn't, so I did, deliberately, because they said I couldn't. And in my tea room, which was such fun, I put champagne in the teapot. Of course you put champagne in the teapot. Anyway, I closed the tea room to go to di- for dinner. This is at the reception. And uh, I closed all the lights down. The tea room was closed, and they were going to dinner. The tea room was still open. Hmm, guess why? Edo and Beatrice were in the tea room. You're kidding. Mm, it was so... alone in the tea room. Oh, that's funny. That's funny because, and now they're married and it's, um, and it, they've got Sienna and they've got Wolfie, who's Edo's, Beatrice's stepson, who's, that's an interesting, Beatrice says it's very fascinating to have, to learn to be a stepmother. You know, it's a good, really good. And I think more stepmothers out there get a, Sometimes a bad handle. Yeah, they get a bad rap, too, because mm-hmm. they're not sure what's expected. But your girls always seemed, no matter what the situation, very comfortable with themselves, with their families. I mean, think what a good job you did with those kids. It isn't easy to bring up kids in any kind of family, let alone a royal family, where expectations are so huge on mm. everyone. I think the Queen had a lot to do with it, actually, because um, be, being so steadfast and consistent, Jenny, you know, that that was so good because we always, the girls would always go up and see Granny and have tea with Granny. And they, Granny always kept to one o'clock lunch, five o'clock tea dinner at 8.30, and the girls could then march in tune with her and learn so much from an, uh, such an icon. And uh, But you're like her, Jenny. Well, like a little her. different. <laughs> a little different from the Queen. <laughs> but, but it's say, the same value system, integrity, values. Your own inner rule book is values of, well, of goodness. Right, well, you, and, you, and you have to have that. But you did it, and it makes a difference, and the Queen liked you so much 
I, we laughed a lot, Joey. Well, that's. I mean, Joy. If Joy and you and I with the Queen, she she we we would go every day dog walking at two. And you inherited the dogs, and right? And I've got the corgis, and we'd walk along around the garden. And it was the one time when no one could listen to us, no one could hear us, and we were giggling. We were cackling like rather like Joy and you, mm. Joni. And then at this particular time, I know the lovely gardens we walked around. There would be the Daphne plant smells. There would be the magnolia. There would be all these. She would. She so loved her garden. And then I, I'd say, "Well, there's a hole in that tree." And she said, "Yes, I think my great grandfather sh- shot shot a hole in that tree." And then we go to the next bit of story. You know how much fun to oh, hear. Yeah, to hear all of that, and you are such a part of it. Yeah, I mean, what? A, that's why I say I'm so lucky because I lived. I mean, I've, I know I write history or amateur history, but I, I really, my books are all about diving into history. Right. And now... The Victorian but, age. Exactly. But the Queen actually... It, it, Was part, it, it, part of all of, of this. Yes. And so you, you, you have to really pinch yourself. And the other thing I really pinch myself about, Joni, is most people's dream is to meet the Queen. Right, to have met the Queen. Of right? course. So they'd gone off to have their hair done and got a nice dress and they'd made it and they'd waited years to meet for her. This. For a five minute audience just to see the Queen. And here I was driving in the car with the dogs in our welly boots and headscarves and on and I know that like yesterday I was in New Jersey and the four hundred people came uh, to bookend. That's a lot. That's a lot. And each person, I did a photograph with each person and I said hello and I had a chat. And do you know what I took away from that? Kindness. The American people were kind. They were kind. And I was so thrilled to, uh, those, those little children came and, and every, fo- I just wanted to say thank you. But they like you. <laughs> no, but, and that's a gift. Yeah, thank to, you. To feel accessible and be accessible so that people can reach out and touch you and understand and even reading your books lady mary (laughs) a most intriguing lady the second book you sort of know she's you i mean obviously if you're going to write writers write from what they know and so she's you to us who are reading it yes and it makes a great big difference. But, Joni, <laughs> because I got a bit of confidence from the first book, this book is re- me really going. Better, yeah. Yes, and I'm better now. So I'm getting more and more confident. So the next book is going to be even more confidence. Heaven, heaven sake. Because you can do it. Poor world. But, but Lady Mary, I said, right, she's going to tightrope walk from the turrets of Scotland where she was brought up because she's my great-great-aunt. Right. And she's going to tightrope walk across the turrets and, and in 1870. And, and, and there's going to be a Cary Grant fellow, sort of very good-looking in his d- dinner jacket, mm. waiting on the terraces of Drumlanrig. And he's going to look up and then avert his eyes because he mustn't look up a lady's skirt. And I had to then... I had to really put my where my mouth was. I had to go and research whether circuses did exist because circuses might not have existed in 1870, right. but they did in Scotland. Thank oh. heavens. <laughs> Who knew? You see all that? Sarah Ferguson with her brand new book. You're going to love it. Almost intriguing. A most intriguing lady. <laughs> and is there another one? You know, 
This would be, and it may be for all I know, such a good TV series because we love detective work and we haven't had a good detective story in years. So, possible? It's very possible. Um, uh, and, Joni, thank you for telling the world because that's exactly where I want to go. She's, I'm just hinting it, at it with Lady Mary, who goes in disguise and joins joins Queenie's gang. Right. Right, because she's a lady, but at night she's a super sleuth and a female detective. And the next book, right into female detectives, 1870, moving on all the way through to, you know, I'm fascinated by women who are brave in World War One and World War Two. I think this is just the beginning of my super sleuthing. Right, we love that. And mm. we also love the lady part because we're not good at ladies here in America. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of life's lessons. Well, it, it, in the book, um, Rachel Kaham, my lovely editor from William Morrow, she said, will you describe, please, what other people could never describe? Is right. all the setting and the dining room table settings? No, and what you eat. Yes. As you said, yes. chicken sandwiches. Yes, coronation chicken that, sandwiches. That, well, that sounds good. <laughs> Special chickens for the sandwich. <laughs> but also, Lady Mary goes into the Yorkshire Dales because I thought it would be really windy and cold yeah. and haunting. And then she goes to, I found Newburgh Priory, which is Oliver Cromwell's place. And... Um, and it's haunting. And then I described the gardens and how she was walking in the gardens, but you know, and all this sort of thing. So it's very descriptive about how I, what, how I live, how, really. Which is exciting. Yeah. Now, how did you inherit the dogs? Well, uh, it's amazing. Could have been a crown or something, but you got <laughs> yeah. the dogs. Well, <laughs> exactly. And they're national treasures. And so whenever they go out and run into trees, I freak and off down to the vets. Oh. But they are they are um they came with their royal dog beds. Mm-hmm, I love that. That's very funny. Yes, it's very funny. And you're a dog lover, obviously. I have five you Norfolk have your own. Five, Journey. Five Norfolk Terriers and now I have seven. And they did you know, the Norfolks are sort of saying, Hey guys, you know, you may have come from a castle but settle down. I know that's what they're saying. To I know, each other. but they're such good dogs. They're yes. so adorable. But the corgis, no wonder the Queen loved them, because right? I've never had a corgi. But now these guys, they're really, really nice dogs. I mean, they're very gentle. And I said to um, what Mick, what the Queen's dog Mick, right. I said, your only job, Mick, is to go and sit on the Queen's lap and watch the racing. And he did. He did. He did. <laughs> and he put his little head oh. on here. And he did because it would come towards the end. She couldn't get around. No. And he used to be there with her. Oh. I can't get over that he did as he was he told. Knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. I know. Dog, dogs are oh. unbelievable. When my husband was ill, our dog, a standard foodle, climbed up on the bed and put her great big paws wrapped around his legs and didn't want anyone to come near him. She was... Her head was up. She was watching every minute. Mm. They just know. And what was she? She was protecting him, was she? Protecting him. And, and she wanted to get rid of the illness. She wanted everyone out of yeah. her way. Yeah. And she would hold guard all day. Really? Yeah, it was amazing. Did he Did he come through? No. Oh, Jenny. He did. It was during COVID. No. It was, yeah, that was a really terrible time. We still have COVID here. Yeah, you but, do, don't you? But not as bad. But, Sarah, I love seeing you love and seeing catching you. up. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to a TV series where we can have fun 
with murders and robberies and detectives and romance. And you can be in it, Jane. I'd be happy to Wouldn't be in it. Wouldn't it be fun? Yes, I could even be the dog walker. <laughs> You'd have to walk pugs. That's okay. Okay, I like pugs. I never had a pug, but I've I never like had a pug. Them. No. They seem to come in groups, too. You know, <laughs> no one has a pug. They have pugs. Pugs. Right. Did you notice that? And they snore. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Like bulldogs. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> but people who have those dogs adore them. Adore, adore them. Well, um, the Duchess um, of Buclou in this book has her pug. I think you should be the Duchess. Yeah, okay. Yes, fine. Next book. Next book. You'll come back and visit again. It's a wonderful read. And it's probably about Sarah, but the next book, she says, is going to be even more. So this is a most intriguing lady, fun <laughs> to read, and it's got everything you love, all the spy elements, everything, and you'll learn a lot about Sarah Ferguson's life. Thank you. Thank you so much for today. During a different age. Yeah, it is absolutely during a different age. But I, I think that's what's fascinating about it because I put myself right into the part, you know, just that sort of feeling of, oh, my goodness, you know, how am I going to manage this? And but you know now that you can do it. Yes, yes. All oh. of it. Mm. Well, I, I, I'm always humour, always humility, and uh, always kindness. And my, I think my father brought me up to believe the kitchen's more important than the dining room table. Always remember that some chef has cooked, worked hard to... Right, to, yeah, to and, do it. Yeah, and I think that's why I am what I am, is um, I, I don't take myself too seriously. I just get on with it. And don't forget that you're brave. Brave. You're brave and that you love the person you've grown up to be. And those are gifts that you can give to your own. Thank you. That's a, that's a huge gift from you. Thank you. I think that's that's good. I am brave. Yes. You are. Brave. Well, come back and visit again. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for having me. I've I love loved this time. You. It's like having a cup of tea with an old friend. Well, we're in our studio. No one else is here. With no tea. No, I'm sorry. No tea and no <laughs> chicken sandwich. I don't think you'd want the sandwich that we could procure for you. <laughs> but, but I'm going to... Um, Around the coronation, I shall be. I just decided that I, the invitations haven't gone out yet, so I don't know if I'm going, but probably won't be. So I've decided to make my own little tea room. I yeah, mean, but you hello. should go to the coronation. <laughs> You're certainly. I, I said after I heard you talk about the pre, the king. I felt like I wanted to call him up and spend a little time with him. <laughs> Good job. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you very I'll much. I'll visit with you again. Yes, Thank please. you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank I'm you. Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More to come. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. I know. I've gotten your emails, your texts, your calls. 
What about St. Patrick's Day? What's the best way? Give me a little parade information. Well, it's Friday, March 17th. It starts at 11 a.m. And there's no real end time because everyone's parading, walking, crowds. But usually it ends at 4.30. And the route is 5th Avenue and 44th Street, past St. Patrick's Cathedral at 50th, and it ends at 5th Avenue and 79th Street. It's the largest St. Patrick's Parade in the world, and it's the oldest Irish tradition in New York. It's going to be broadcast on NBC. And it started March 17, 1762. Think about it, 14 years before the Declaration of Independence was signed. More than 150,000 marchers, bands, bagpipes, they come from everywhere, high schools, colleges. They come from the firefighter community, the military, police groups, Irish-American groups, public officials. You can go on to website.nycstpatricksparade.org. There are no floats, no motorized vehicles, no balloons. Everyone walks or march. Now, if you're going to drive, check out the parking facilities near the parade because a lot of these are closed to traffic. If you're driving, reserve advanced parking to avoid event pricing. Go to parkwiz.com, and I found rates as low as $25 for 10 hours. That's pretty good. And there's an Edison parking garage right at 50 West 44th Street, a little bit of a walk, but not too far. And so many other places we found parking for $22 at 218 West 54th Street for 10 hours. And public transportation is there. Go to new.mta.info and you'll get all your options and all the information. You'll hear what subway lines, what bus lines. So have fun and enjoy one of the happiest days and parades in New York City. All right, everyone, I look up, and sure enough, we're coming to the 3 o'clock. So I want you to hang around all day because nothing is better than the programming here on WABC. Enjoy it. And happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm Joan Hamburg.